Amen. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. With every breath that I am able, I will sing the goodness of God. But what about those times when it seemed like the Lord has missed a good chance to end my suffering? to end my sorrow. What about those times when it looks like that the Lord just isn't in step with where I am today? I'll talk about that a little bit this morning under this topic. Why does God wait why does God wait? He's all-powerful. There's nothing that can stop him. He perfectly loves. So why wouldn't he just go ahead and end this place of sorrow? Get me out of this tight spot. Why does God wait? We can find a part of the answer, I believe, in asking that questions about earthly parents. Why do parents wait? Why do parents wait? Why don't they take that two-year-old and put that two-year-old in the driver's seat and give the instruction, drive us to McDonald's. Because the parents know that two-year-old isn't ready. Why, why not put an eight-year-old at the controls of a caterpillar, a bulldozer, and say, cut that road? Why, why wouldn't you take a 12-year-old and put him in the cockpit of a Boeing 737 and say, fly us to Dallas. It's because the answer is obvious. They aren't ready. The day will come after the due necessary preparation process has taken place that two-year-old will one day be an 18-year-old and could get the family to McDonald's and back. So what if at least a part of the reason, a big part of the reason as to why God waits is because He is enacting, He is employing a process of preparing us for our greater destiny. I want you to take your Bible, your copy of the Scripture, find your way to the book of Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
And there is a, an amazing section of Scripture that records Moses talking to a group of more than likely younger people about to enter what we have come to call the promised land, Canaan, the promised land. This isn't the original group that came out of Egypt with Moses, that lived through all of the plagues, the demonstrations of God's power to convince Pharaoh and the Egyptians to let my people go. They saw the Red Sea miraculously parted. They walked through on dry ground from one side to the other side of the Red Sea. They walked from slavery to freedom. And Pharaoh's army was destroyed when those walls of water collapsed upon the Egyptian army. They could have gone in a matter of days or weeks straight from Egypt to Canaan. Just cut right across the desert. Just go straight into Canaan. They could have. The wilderness season would have been dramatically shortened from the 40 years that it ended up being. But the problem came when they got close to going in. They were on the verge, the boundary at the border of the land of promise. They decided to send out the 12 spies, you remember, into the land, find out the condition, the cities, the size of armies, the distance, fertility, and so forth. And you'll remember the story Ten tribes came, ten of the spies came back saying, there are too many giants, too many cities that are walled, the people are too powerful, the task is too great, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb were the only two out of the ten that basically said, no, are you kidding me? Do you remember what our God did for us at the Red Sea? Do you remember how we were liberated from 400, 450 years of slavery by the act of God intervening on our behalf? And you're trying to say to us, the God who did all of that can't do this? They were shouted down, basically. And the unbelief ruled the day. And as a result of that, that entire generation cost the next generation 40 years of their lives. There was not one step taken as the Lord was giving leadership to Moses. There was not one step taken in the direction of the land of promise until the last of every one of those who doubted God, that unbelieving generation, died. They were brought out of slavery, but they died in the wilderness. 
which was never God's intent. You may find yourself in some kind of a wilderness today. But I'm here to tell you the plan of the Lord for you is not that you die in the wilderness, but that you profit greatly from the wilderness and understand that that is preparation for the land of promise, your further destiny. It's beyond the boundaries of the wilderness. So Moses is speaking to the survivors of the wilderness the ones who had buried every one of their parents. There was not one living except for Joshua and Caleb and Moses who believed that what God had done in the past to set them free, that that God would be able to take them into the land and establish his promise to them, that they would prosper. But he says to them, He says to this next generation, their faces tanned by the heat of the wilderness, their bodies toughened by enduring all that they went through, not having a roof, a permanent roof over their head, not having visible water for their children to drink unless the Lord provided it or even brought it out of a rock of flint. They couldn't feed their children, their families themselves, unless it was that manna from heaven that every morning they had come to count on the God of heaven providing. That manna means what is it? That's the literal translation. What is it? They had never seen it before, didn't know what it was, but they were instructed to gather it off like dew on plants and on stones, gather the, gather it up and make bread cakes out of it. That's how they survived, the bread of heaven, manna. They had seen all of that. They had known all of that. And to that group, Moses says these words, all the commandments, Deuteronomy 8 verse 1, all the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry. He let you be hungry. He humbled you and let you be hungry. To know what was in your heart, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you. That's not discipline out of anger. It's training. 
instructing you, preparing you, just as a man prepares, instructs, trains, disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity, in which you shall not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he is giving you, or has given you. But then he says, beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out from the bondage of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Lord, we ask you, as we consider this passage of Scripture, that you would send forth your Spirit and power to our hearts, that we'll get this, that we'll understand the significance of these words, and that we will apply your truth, your instruction, your encouragement to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we receive you in power. Amen. Why does God wait? Why does God wait? When he's all-powerful, he loves perfectly, why would he wait to end a difficult season in our lives, a wilderness season in our lives? It may not be that your whole life could be described as a wilderness, but maybe one relationship could. Maybe your professional life could. Maybe something could. That it, it seems as if, like happened to the children of Israel in the world, they just went around in circles for 40 years, going nowhere. There was, there was no life in it. Life had to be brought to it. It, it sucked life out of them instead of giving life to them have a relationship like that. 
a situation like that? Why would God wait? Why would he leave you in that place? I want to offer three points of truth, I believe. Number one, God will wait to establish in us a heart that depends on him. God will wait to allow the dynamic of the circumstance to create in us a heart that depends on him. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because the wilderness that you've been in has been medical. It may have been marriage. It may have been professionally, but it hasn't been something that has just been an easy thing to deal with because it is so barren, because it is so parasitic. Only God has been able to sustain you. When it says that he did this to humble you, That means to create a dependency not on what you can bring to the table, but upon only what God can do. To create a dependency upon Him. I remember a businessman telling me one day in the middle of some some financial circumstances going on around him, (laughs) he loved the Lord, knew the Lord, was trying to walk with the Lord, but he said to me, and it was basically these words, This life of dependency is about to kill me. In other words, when you are a driver, there's the mountain, get out of my way, I'm going. But you find something that, that is happening that causes you to be continuously dependent upon him. Folks, instead of that being bad, instead of that being something, oh, I can get past this and on to the next stage in my spiritual growth, Stay there. Cultivate that. Glory in that. Know that that is one of the reasons why God is allowing the all-powerful, all-loving Father, God, that He is. It's why He's allowing it on your life. He knows everything else can disappoint. Everything else can fade. He will never fade or fail you. He proved it. By day, by day, by day, providing even the food they would put in their mouths. Even by giving them water to drink. And there there were estimates of there could have been as many as 3 million Israelites with all of their children, all of the families, all of the livestock, all of that. Without a water main, except that which would come from heaven. He allowed it to happen because he delighted to see their dependence on him. Folks, these ones that Moses was speaking to, this wasn't their first wilderness rodeo. They'd been, they grew up and it's all they ever knew. But they knew that he would feed them. They knew that when they were thirsty, he would give them drink. Some of you could stand and give the testimony. I don't know how God did it. 
But he did it for me and for my children and for my family. He did it for my body. He, he did it. If he did it then, I'm living, I'm living on the fact that he will do it from here on. Do you realize how much more valuable that is to you than $5 million in a cash account at a bank? Do you realize that, 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 that folks who can have all, the, have, have all the cash can sometimes feel like that's my security, it's what I can see as my, as my bottom line deposit. And, and, and the Lord can bless him that way. And he says, your silver and your gold is going to multiply. Everything you have is going to multiply. But he was saying, he was warning them, don't let what you can see in supply become the enemy of that which only God can truly supply for your heart. Depend on him. Learn to lean on him. Learn to count on him. Learn to live that way, not just on Sunday or once ever blue moon. I'm talking to some folks who have lived that. You have been through something so tough, so long, so impossible, going in circles until you wondered if you'd ever be able to get out of it. But in the place of that, in, in the midst of that, you have found yourself depending upon the Lord and being able to say, Lord, if I die here, I'm going to die here, but my eyes are on you. You have taken care of me, and you continue to take care of me, and I am depending on you. I am depending on you. You talk about a disappointment is when you, when you, when you have put your dependence in somebody who's untrustworthy. You, you, you're dependent on somebody who, who can't keep their word or who doesn't have the resources to fill their word or they don't have the physical ability to fill we, we can thank people and be grateful for people, but our dependency, folks, our dependency, our dependency needs to be on our Father, on our Savior, on the Spirit. People can make great friends, but they make lousy gods. People can make good people. But only God who loves you, only the Savior who died for you, only the Spirit who wants to empower you with this kind of faith can be in your life what he can be in your life. Okay? It was to establish, it was to establish in their hearts a heart that depends on him. Here's, here's, our, here's our problem, folks. Here's, here's one of the, this, this human part of us. The wilderness, we, we've got a, a wilderness, we've got a calendar date, and then it kind of came to an end, and things are smoother, and things are better. And we think we're supposed to get over everything that the wilderness was about in our lives. Massive, strategic, tactical mistake. Because the question needs to be, Lord, why did you allow that? For what purpose did you allow it in my life? It was to create in you a loving, unshakable, unchanging dependence upon me. That was, this is, a, this is the context, that was, that was not just to be real while they were physically in the wilderness. That was an attribute within their hearts. God wanted to be placed within them, planted within them for the days ahead, for the taking of the land of promise, 
for them moving into their fuller inheritance. Instead of trying to get over dependency upon him, Lord, show us how to cultivate dependence upon you. When things smooth out at business, smooth out in the family, smooth out in whatever it was, Lord, don't ever let me forget what you were teaching me there. Don't ever. Let me tell that story again. That's my testimony. He allowed that in my life to teach me to depend on him, to lean on him, to count on him. And I understood that he was teaching me that then so that I could live that out now and in the days where he takes me into a broad place. And and the enemies are far away and things are smoother. But that warning was so clear. Don't forget God. Don't forget God in the place of abundance. The place of abundance is coming, but don't forget what he taught you in the wilderness. I'm, I'm wanting to encourage some folks this morning, and I'm, and I'm hoping you're hearing this is not some little trite, little, little shallow kind of thing. Oh, just trust in Him, just depend on Him. It, it, it's trite and shallow when the circumstances are shallow. But when it, can, when it seems like the very earth is moving beneath your feet, and the mountains that have been arrayed in the landscape of your life are being moved into the heart of the sea, Everything shaking, everything changing, for there's still to be at work within you by the power of the Spirit of Jesus in li- alive in you. Lord, I'm trusting in you. I'm depending on you. Those are the kinds of believers that you need to chase down and have them tell, your, tell their story. Others who have just gotten it from books others who are just shallowly spouting something, they, they really haven't been tested. But you usually read this word, tested, tested. The, the wilderness will test you to test where our trust is, but also to try, test our obedience. That, that, that's the second truth here. The, the first one is God waits to establish in us in a heart that depends on him. And secondly, God waits to teach us the power of obedience. (laughs) God waits, allows the wilderness circumstance to close in on us in order to teach us the power of obedience. He says repeatedly in this section that Moses is quoted as speaking to the children of Israel. He fed you. He watered you. He delivered you from the snakes and from the scorpions and the hostility all around you. He did that because you were obeying him. You were trying to do what he wanted you to do. Folks, The reason some folks seem to get their socks blessed off and others are having to look way off at you under way in the past for something that they know God did is because there is always going to be a distinct clarification 
of who God blesses and who God doesn't. Malachi says, this, this, remnant, this remnant left in Malachi's day. There's a day coming when because you have left rebellion and you've come back to obedience, doing what the Lord was asking them to do, that honor him with the first of that which that he had blessed them with, that, that giving the tithe first, that, that, that was the context. But he said, the blessings of the Lord will come upon those who honor me so that there will be a distinction between the ones who follow God and the ones who don't follow God. You say, well, I know a bunch of rich people that have a bunch of money. Are you trying to tell me with all of the reports in our media of how many wealthy young people are killing themselves, destroying themselves, wealthy, they have all, all the money, maybe more they could ever spend, that that's the only way to count and measure a full heart, joy, life. The blessing of the Lord where there's peace in your heart. The blessing of the Lord where there's satisfaction in your heart. The blessing of the Lord where you've got children who don't want to change their last name. They want to put, I'm second, third, fourth kin to you on the back of their shirts. You know, the favor of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord. It doesn't mean that things are always easy. It doesn't mean that the things of the righteous, the ones seeking to follow the Lord, are always going to be without conflict because they won't. David would say, the afflictions of the righteous are many, <laughs> but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I, he said, I stood and they had this poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. And the Lord delivered him out of all his troubles. It doesn't mean that you'll never have a wilderness. <laughs> but folks, in that place of your wilderness, a heart that depends upon him, is depending upon him, leaning upon him, counting upon him, and not yourself and your brain and how you think you can figure it out. I'm depending upon the Lord, but also one that is saying, Lord, I want to honor you in the choices that I make. In the middle of this wilderness, in the middle of this tough place, tight place, folks, it's not until you get squeezed that you find out what's inside you. That's not a real pretty way to put that, but it's the truth. I love God. I believe God. I'm all for God. And then the, then, then the circumstances begin to tighten up around you. What comes out then? The Lord is saying, I watched your lives. I saw you in the middle of the pressure. And I saw that you still chose me. I saw that you still wanted to please me with your life. Heaven noticed. Bless you. Bless you. It's easy to sin in the wilderness. 
It's easy to check out and go to some cheap substitute. Anybody can do that. But brothers and sisters in Jesus who understand the call of the Lord upon their lives and know about that prayer, Lord, I receive your spirit and power to my heart. Holy Spirit, I receive you in power in my life. And you're recognizing that you don't have the strength, but what you don't have and what you need, he will give you. What is the context for the fruit of the Spirit? Well, Paul would say the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The context is a wilderness. The context is in those days when the Roman Empire was circling the wagons and coming against the church to take from them, separate them, eventually murder many of them. Paul was saying, here is what the Spirit of the exalted Jesus will produce in your life. Love when there's not love coming from anywhere. Feeling that you love, knowing that you love, joy, peace, patience in the wilderness, in the wilderness. We'll know, we'll know the power of an obedient life. There are two or three parts of that. One, the power that is, that is released in his provision. Then the power that is released in his protection. And the power that is released with the sense of his presence. In, with, with that in mind, we find, find Psalm 23. We could probably quote a good bit of this. David's in a wilderness when he writes Psalm 23. He's not out with some harp somewhere out under a mesquite bush as the sun's going down looking at sheep drinking out of a tank. That, that's not where he is. More than likely, he's grown. He, he is known as the anointed king of Israel, except there was a king on the throne named Saul, and Saul, jealous of him, hunted him. He was estranged from his family. He had to flee for his life repeatedly, repeatedly. He was endangered. But listen to what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Literally, I shall not lack for anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Are those physical? Are those literal? No. That the quiet pastures of his heart, green pastures of his heart, quiet waters within him, he restores my soul. He brings back my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In other words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
which evidently he was walking through. He repeatedly was in situations like that. But his spirit declares this truth. I'm not afraid of any evil in that place because you are with me. Because you are. Somehow, the understanding that I'm in this valley of the shadow of of death because I'm trying to follow what you want me to do, Lord. I'm here on your assignment. I'm here wanting to follow my shepherd. But as I walk through this, I sense that there is danger all around me. But I'm here obeying you. I'm here because I'm wanting to do what you want me to do. And in that place, folks, listen, there comes the release of the sense of the presence of God like you may not find in any church building or any other place in your life. I fear no evil because you are with me. Do you realize how valuable that is from the Father who is in heaven seeing us still walking down here on this earth? I want you to know the power of my presence. But no matter who you're with, no matter what's coming at you, no matter what's going on, you sense my presence and you will fear no evil. Paul writes a similar statement in the last letter he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I've mentioned this many times, but it's just one of the most awesome statements of the reality of the presence of God showing up in a life. When they have no other source of hope, they left, left me. He listed that. The different ones left me. Different ones left me. I don't fault them. They left me. He's in prison, would be facing death. They had all abandoned me. But he says, but the Lord stood with me. But the Lord stood. Have you ever known the Lord's presence that real in your life? I can tell you who in this room could testify of that. It's folks who have been through a wilderness situation, setting, episode that seemed to be threatening you with, with, with life itself and somehow, some way, in the middle of the night, in the dark of the night, you by yourself or you with, with others, but you, you sense the Lord's presence show up in the room. I'm telling you, folks. From the, hand, from the standpoint of God, that, that can be one of the most, if not the most valuable lessons and expressions we will ever get in this life. It turns you into a fearless man or woman. You are not owned by the opinions or the threats of people or circumstances. The presence of Almighty God, you, David would say, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. He is at my right hand that I will not be shaken. Why does God wait? It could very well be because in the context of what you're waiting to get out of, the Lord powerfully, wonderfully, warmly wants to show up not after it's done, not remembering what it was like before, but right in the middle of it, right in the middle of it. Lord, what you have done for these others, you know I need. 
Send your spirit in power. What is the function of the spirit? To make the presence of Jesus real. To make the presence of the exalted Jesus known and real in a heart. So you say, well, I thought that was just for the Billy Graham kind of people that, that have 50,000 people watching them live and they got a microphone in their face and they can talk about how powerful God is. No. No. In the wilderness that you may find yourself in, he's using that to establish a heart of dependency upon him and he is also using it to show you the power of his presence. The power of his presence. So, so folks, listen. So you say, instead of our prayer being, oh, God, get me out of this, 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 the prayer needs to meet. Lord, would you just go ahead and finish up what you're wanting me to get? And the sooner I get it, the quicker maybe I can get out of here. Why do we have to keep lapping? Why do we have to keep lapping? Why do we have to keep lapping? Maybe it's because the first 39 laps, we didn't get it. But number 40, oh, you don't ever want me not to be dependent upon you. You don't ever want me not to get to the place where I understand the cause and effect, obedience and blessing, obedience and blessing, obedience and blessing. Here's the third one. Why does God wait? To create a longing for a better place. To create a longing for a better place. This generation who had grown up sleeping on rocks and the only shelter in many cases being just the trees that they could find over their head and eating a one-course meal every day of their life. The sun, this, this holy kind of restlessness. Holy kind of restlessness. Lord, we're ready for the rest of that which you have planned for us. says that you're going to a place where the Lord's going to multiply your gold and your silver and your cattle and everything you have. He's going to multiply it. He's going to give you fields to plant crops in. He's going to give you your own supplies of food and water. They had heard that. That had been taught to them even by their parents that, that doubted the Lord, that they knew the promise. They were ready for the promise. The wilderness had accomplished what it needed to accomplish, and now they're ready for the rest of what God had promised. The, 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 the wilderness will create a longing for a better place. I'm talking to Maybe some folks who have lived in a wilderness at work, wilderness professionally. You're there because you believe the Lord put you there. You, you, hadn't, you hadn't left. You stayed there. You, you've tried to seek to be honoring the authority and so forth. But there's something else. There's something working inside you. 
I think I could do this better than they can do this. I, I, I've, I've got a dream of having my own company, of doing something that I would wish to do the way that I would believe the Lord would be honored in doing it. These folks were ready when the time came. Now, they were going to have to cross the Jordan River at flood stage. They were going to have another river crossing, but this is a river cross instead of a Dead Sea crossing on their own. Oh, but because it had been established in their hearts, this dependency upon the Father and this determination to obey Him, knowing that that releases power, they were ready for the Lord to take them into the place. Not everything that is the promise of the Lord, the fulfillment of the Lord, and His greater destiny is going to come our way down here. Paul will say, and this is incredible, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 2 and 3, he makes two references in the context of, of warning believers against going to secular courts with lawsuits against other believers. That, that's the context. But he says, don't you know? that the day is coming when the saints will judge the world. A little bit later, that the saints will judge angels. Meaning, we are called joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We will one day somehow co-administer the rulership of the universe with Jesus. I know that's a hat-blowing, you know, statement. But you read the broader context. Folks, listen, what you haven't gotten down here doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't have it in reservation and ready for you, stored up for you when you get up there. That, that, he, he, that folks can go to heaven. The Lord delays their physical healing because he has another life for them better than the life down here. So he calls ones to heaven. I know some folks who were there now who had a longing for that better place. They weren't morbid. They weren't eaten up with pessimism. They were just realizing and holding on to when Jesus said, in my Father's house in many mansions, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you can be also. That place where there's no sickness, there's no mourning, there's no reason to mourn, there's no crying, there's no reason to cry, there's no pain, there are no causes for pain. Revelation. We're going to be having a memorial service for Willow Dean Rampt, just a wonderful sister in Jesus, 98 years young. 98. She'd sit right there. And if she was blessed by the preaching, she'd come sometimes and tell me, thank you, Pastor, I needed that. I repented of something. <laughs> Willa Dean, what in the world could you repent for? <laughs> Walked with the Lord, just lived with the Lord. Wonderful. But she would say, I'm ready to go. Where, Willa Dean? We'd get you to H-E-B. We'd, we'd take you to, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go be with the Lord. It was like she was saying, there's an ache, there's a longing 
She had been through the wilderness, and, and, and there was a dependency upon the Lord, and she was understanding the power released through obedience. But there is, has been that stirring in her heart, and I know it's true in many. So that's why I've got to, in closing, read you the words to this song. You need to say amen, read it, Pastor, don't sing it. Well, I, 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 I'm liable to cut loose here. Just listen to this. Dottie Rambo, she's in heaven now. There's a light in the window. The table spread in splendor. Someone standing by the open door. I can see a crystal river. I must be near forever. I've never been this homesick before. I see the bright light shine. It's just about home time. I can see my father standing at the door. This world has been a wilderness. I'm ready for deliverance. Lord, I've never been this homesick before. I can see the family gather. Sweet faces, all familiar, and no one's old or feeble anymore. And my lonesome heart is crying. Think I'll spread my wings for flying. I've never been this homesick before. See the bright light shine. It's just about home time. I can see my father standing at the door. This world has been a wilderness. I'm ready for deliverance. I've never been this homesick before. Folks, that ache within your hearts, not necessarily for heaven, but for a better place. As you're depending upon Him, you're doing your best to obey Him, the ache for a better place he authored. It came from him. And as this process of preparation gets completed, get ready. Get ready. There'll be a water crossing you'll need to step into, but the things that you've learned before, the things that he's taught you of his faithfulness, of his power, of his love for you, are in place so that you carry them into your further destiny. Not that you leave this all here as a part of the wilderness. The wilderness was there to birth some things here so that we carry them into the rest of our destiny. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 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 Would you stand with me, please? And streaming family, bless you for being a part of this. And I know, just as sure as I'm standing here, that there are many of you listening to this have been able to say, that's true, Pastor. That's true. He has used in my life the things I've gone through to create a deeper dependency upon him, to convince me more thoroughly that if I'll just obey him, 
His power will be released to make a way to take care of me. And I've got to admit, I'm longing for a better place. I'm thankful for what he's doing in my life now. But the rest of what he has for me, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Would you do your hands like this? Those of you, you don't have to, you don't want to, but just, this is his heart. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you even in your wilderness and give you peace. In the name of the Father, in the name of his Son, Jesus, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 We're going to sing our way out of here in a minute. Prayer partners, if you'll join me here, please, and if we can pray for you and with you the way to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's receiving Jesus. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. If we can talk with you and pray with you, we want to do that. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org, let us hear from you. Just enough to know how to pray, and then let us know as the Lord works things together for good in your life, how we can rejoice with you. Come this way if you need prayer. If that's not necessarily what you need, you can stay in this room as long as you want to till you're ready to go. But you could also find somebody around you that looks like they might could use some encouragement and a blessing. And you shake their hands, hug their neck, bless them in the name of the Lord as you make your way out. God bless you for coming today. God bless you. See you next time.